This morning, we continue on our discipleship message series. Dallas Willard, a professor known for his work on discipleship and spiritual transformation, said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. Discipleship, he said, is becoming who Jesus would be if He was you where you are. To bring healing to brokenness, and light into darkness, to bring lasting transformation into our schools, our workplaces, and our society, to build strong marriages and families, and to turn our city, our nation, and our generation towards God. To do all this, the key is discipleship. Because in discipleship, number one, it draws from and brings to bear the inexhaustible grace, immeasurable wisdom, and the infinite power of God to where you are and in every situation you will be in. And number two, as we will read from today's passage, discipleship not only produces much fruit, it produces fruit that will last. Discipleship, as we heard last week, starts with Jesus and is sustained by Jesus. It starts with, follow me, that was the title of last week's message, and it continues with, remain in me, that's the title of this week's message, today's message. And the passage is taken from John chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. Let me read for you those verses. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. 
And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Because greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, just before John 15, Jesus had eaten the Passover meal with the disciples, and he had talked to them about being betrayed by one of them, being disowned by Peter, and departing from them physically. So as they left the place they had the Passover meal and made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples may be wondering in their mind, when is Jesus going to leave? If Jesus, is Jesus going to leave soon? And if so, what will happen to their calling? They have left everything to follow him. And if Jesus is gone, who will they follow? And what will happen to this band of brothers? So you can imagine the anxiety and the confusion in them. In this very perplexing moment for the disciples, the words of Jesus in John 15 instructed them on what should be their focus and anchor, preparing them for the most excruciating, painful coming 24 hours, but not only that, also their continual discipleship journey in following Christ. Now, after deciding to follow Jesus, all of us as believers will find out that our Christian life is not a walk in the park, right? There will be seasons of disappointments, discouragements, defeats, and even distractions. So I hope this message today will be an encouragement to you as we explore what it means when Jesus said, remain in me. I want to take a moment to pray before I go into the points, and I want to remember the nation of Afghanistan and pray for the believers, the church, and the nation. Can we join our hearts together and let's pray. God, this morning we remember the nation of Afghanistan and its people. There are many things on our mind and sometimes we find it challenging to know how to pray. God, we pray for the church, the believers in the nation. God, during this very difficult, anxious, perplexing moment, I ask God that your presence will be so felt among them that, will, that they will know each and every moment, each and every day, no matter the uncertainty and the pain, God, you are with them. And help them to be your light and your sword to the people around them. I pray for the government, God, that you will intervene. God, whatever that's happening politically, we look to you, God, for your supernatural and divine intervention. So God, we lift up the nation and every single person. 
to you, God. We know that you love each and every one of them. So we pray, God, that your spirit will work even in ways that we cannot fully understand or comprehend. God, we trust that your spirit will work and you will turn all things, you will work all things together for good. I pray, God, today, even as we hear your word, that your spirit will illuminate our mind, that you will reveal yourself to us. Let the revelation of God be an inspiration for us to follow you, to remain in you. In Jesus' name, may all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. To remain in me, first, is to rely on God to produce the fruits that He wants, that you want, and to fulfill His call on your life. Verse 1 to 5, Jesus said, I am the true vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. The vine in the Old Testament symbolizes Israel. In Jesus' days, there was a huge golden vine that stood over the entrance of the temple sanctuary. So as Jesus walked with his disciples towards the Garden of Gethsemane, they could be passing through vineyards or even looking at the golden grapevine on the temple gates from afar. And with that, Jesus taught them an important object lesson. You see, the vine is a symbolic picture of Israel who was called to be a fruitful people. But the reality is that they failed to fulfill the call of God on them and they failed to produce the fruit that God desired. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, this is what we read. From the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the plant of his delight. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. God looked for righteousness, but heard a cry of distress. And then in Isaiah chapter 80, verse 16 to 18, we read, and you can sort of like join these two passages of verses together. Your vine, and that refers to Israel, is cut down. It is burnt with fire, and your rebuke, your people perish. So let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised for yourself. And that prophetically points to Jesus. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. So with this understanding as a backdrop, Jesus said to his disciples, now I am the true vine. Jesus was saying that only he can bear, can produce the fruit that God desires. The implication and application are therefore only in him and by remaining in him can Israel can the disciples, can we produce the kind of fruit God desires and fulfill the call of God in our lives? Now, remain in Greek is the word meno, which means not to depart, to wait, and to continue in the same state. Last week, we see that by following Jesus, we will discover, that's the first point, our life purpose. In the pursuit to fulfill our life purpose, I have found that it is also possible to start with God, but later drift away from God. 
I shared my story a few times on how I let go of my dream to be a pilot. And when God asked me what would be a dream I want in place of the pilot dream that I've given up, I prayed to God that God will turn my generation to Him. And that led me to sense God's call for me later on to be a pastor. I just want to say that you don't have to be a pastor. You can be a chef, a hairdresser, a businessman, a doctor, a student, a homemaker, and of course, a pilot. Wherever God has called you, you play a part in God's plan to reach your generation, our generation with the gospel. Amen? Amen. My call to be a pastor is not greater than your call to be a pilot or a homemaker. It just so happens that God's call for me was to serve in the ministry full-time. Anyway, our church does have a few pilots, and I'm very grateful to them whenever I see them. I'm very happy, and the only unfortunate thing is they can't take me for a joyride. <laughs> hin hin. And uh, <laughs> I love my dream of reaching, not, not my dream to be a pilot. <laughs> I love my dream of reaching my generation. The pilot dream given up already. I love my calling passionately. I love to sing that song. We don't sing it nowadays. We have a vision for this nation. We share a dream for this land. And we speak revival to this land. Oh man, I love that song. And so when I came into the ministry, I began to rejoice in numbers, in ministry expansion, in ascending charts. I began to exalt methodology, strategy, effort, sacrifices. I unconsciously, however, began to focus on the call rather than on God. I began to rely more and more on myself than Him. Now, I must qualify that numbers in terms of people saved and discipled, leaders raised and released are still important. We need to bear in mind God's words that say that His will is none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. They are all numbers related. These words of God must still grip our heart and our soul. However, what I found is that the focus of my faith and my reliance had been misplaced. The reliance on self rather than God led to pride in human wisdom, being insensitive, being insensitive to others, frustrated with unmet expectations, and trying to set self-generated goals rather than waiting upon God for His direction. Not exactly the fruit that I want, and I think that's not what God wants. And then God used Habakkuk, Chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, to speak to me. It says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olive fails, and the fields produce no food. That's scary for me. Though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, it's like nobody's coming to church. And then he says, Habakkuk said, Yet I will still rejoice in the Lord, and I will shout in exultation in the God of my salvation. And then God gently asked me, 
if your dream doesn't come true, will you still worship me? I think that question must be from God because I can't think of such a question to ask myself, right? And then that's when I realized I have misplaced my focus. God was graciously turning my focus back to Him and led me back to produce the kind of fruit that He desires and that will also give me the deepest joy and fulfillment. And out of that experience, uh, this hymn, Without My Vision, became my favorite. Without my vision, that God is my vision, not my dreams or goals. Without my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, that I would think of God day and night, not my dreams, not my goals. And waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. God is our true vine, and may he alone always will be. Another aspect of Christ being our true vine is that God will prune us as branches to make us more fruitful. Some people liken pruning to surgery. You know, you heard that saying, and this is a saying that I really like. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Someone said to me, unless, not unless if you are a surgeon. When you go under a surgeon's knife, you want to be sure whether the surgeon really cares for you or not. He knows what he's doing, right? <laughs> that he is going to remove the right stuff. Pruning is the targeted removal of deceased, damaged, dead, non-productive, and structurally unsound plant materials. God when he prunes, knows exactly what to remove from your life to make you healthy and fruitful. So in your discipleship journey as a student, there are dreams you pursue. For those working or who are in business, there are goals you want to achieve. For husbands, wives, and parents, you want to build a strong and healthy marriage and family. For ministry leaders, you have a vision you want to fulfill. God must be your true vine because it is Him who will give you water and nutrients. He will refresh you when you are dry, replenish you when you feel tired, encourage you when you feel down, help you back to your feet when you fail, and surround you with the right people to support you. And as your gardener, God will remove from you harmful habits, beliefs, and anything that will hinder you. So Jesus is saying to us, only by relying on God can we produce and achieve what will truly satisfy. So how do I remain in the true vine? Now this question can be answered by the next remain that Jesus said. In verse seven, Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So to remain in the true vine means to let what God says direct you. God's words lead 
to continual fruitfulness. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. When you choose to follow God's way, your success or fruitfulness will not be a flash in the pan. It will be continual. It will last for a lifetime and for generations to come. A person who delights in God's ways is likened to a tree planted by streams of water. This tree is a picture of health and strength. Planted means you have been intentionally placed or positioned. So where you are, where you are as you prosper is not by accident, but by appointment. And by streams of water means you are put in the best position to achieve the dreams and goals God has placed in your heart. When things and life are generally going well for you, it's easy to believe these words. But it is not so easy when you are going through challenging situations. And if you find yourself in such a season, the life of Joseph offers us guidance and encouragement. Joseph was sold by his own brothers, framed by his boss's wife and put in jail as a result. And then he was forgotten by a man he helped that could mean his freedom and release from the dungeon. But when you look at his life, you could see that Everything that happened led him and put him into a position where he could overnight from being a prisoner to become the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful empire of his time. Someone said, God causes all things to work together for good, but he does not cause all things. I don't think that the pains, the hurts that Joseph experienced was intentionally created by God. But God can turn the most evil things into good. Intentionally or unintentionally, man can still cause injury and injustice, but God can supernaturally turn it around. That's why Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, you plotted, the brothers referring to, you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people. Through all those excruciating, painful situations that could have caused anyone to lose hope or confidence, the question is, what directed Joseph so that he eventually ended up being appointed to be the highest ranking officer in the land? His response when tempted by his boss's wife offered us some insight. When he was tempted, he said, how can I do this and sin against God? You see, God's way was Joseph's inner compass. God was his anchor. 
So today, if, you're, if you find yourself in unfamiliar territories, challenging, difficult, and even painful, the encouragement for you is to keep walking in the ways of God that you know, and one day, you will find yourself like a tree planted by streams of water. You will find your life to be purposeful and fruitful beyond what you can ask or imagine. Keep relying on God. Keep letting the Word of God direct you. Now, when you let the Word of God direct your life, it is also God saying to you not to let negative words have a stranglehold over you. God's words produce faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we read, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And we all know words have power, right? In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, we read, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In Proverbs 16, verse 24, we read, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words can affect a person psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. Words can shape a person's identity, beliefs, and behavior, and in turn, their destiny. So what God says to us, what God says of us, is what we should think about constantly. That's letting God's word remain in us. However, we all have experienced allowing negative words that others say remain in us, that weigh us down, keep us down, and make us unfruitful or less than what we can be for God. I'm going to go through some of those negative words, but not just that, I want to look at what does the Word of God say. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, someone said to you or someone said to another person, you will never fulfill God's purpose and then give you some ridiculous, unbiblical reason like if you, you'll never fulfill God's purpose if you don't get married. You'll never fulfill God's purpose if you don't score all the A's, all A's for all your subjects and go to the course that I want you to go. It's unbiblical. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, it is He, it is Christ, it is God who has begun a good work. He, God will bring it to completion. Have you heard the words, you will never be a success? But just now, we just read in Psalm chapter 1, you will prosper and be successful. That's what the Word of God says. Or have you heard those words, you will never get it right. But Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 tells us that when we trust God, God will direct our path. God will lead us to the right way. Have you heard those words, you are good for nothing. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. It is God who has created us. He made us good and good for good works. Have you heard those words? It is all your fault. And sometimes you say this to yourself, right? But Romans 8 1 tells us that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And have you heard someone say, I curse you, or you are cursed? And that's heavy loaded. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
One of the things that a person said to me, and he really said that word for word, you will never have friends. So I reminded myself, Jesus said, I call you my friend. <laughs> my wife, my children, they are all my friends. And in this church, people pamper their pastors. So everybody is pastor's friends. We don't have to let negative words remain in us and have a stranglehold on our destiny. We let God's word direct our life and let him fulfill the dreams that he has given to us. Amen? Yeah. Now today, if you are reminded of some of those, those negative words, they're still ringing, still in you. You know what? Ask the Holy Spirit not just to remove them, but also show you what God says. And you let what God says shape you. I end with this third point. Remaining in God means be assured of His love and also love each other. Verse 9, 10, and 15, we read, Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I will right now love the musicians to come to the stage. I find that there are two very challenging scenarios that believers experience in which they must be assured of God's love. First is when we go through a season of severe lack and things are not working out according to our expectation. When that happens, we need to be assured that God loves us and does not will never withhold good things from us. When Satan tempted Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 4 and 5, this is what he said to Eve, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, if you think about those words, and you can feel a vibe, a sense, as if God is withholding something good from Eve. But Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this, and this is what we must remember. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. God is a good and generous God. And we must be assured of His love for us, that He is good to us all the time. Second is when we fall short, we must remember that His love for us does not change. God's love is more robust than we think. Do you think he's going to be easily offended because you do something or say something wrong? Obviously not. In our discipleship journey, there will be times even we can't live up to our own expectation. But we must learn to remain in God knowing that he loves us. Like I said just now, I love my calling and my ministry. 
But there was one time I wanted to give up on my call. It was when my youngest daughter, Joy, at four days old, she had to go through phototherapy and blood transfusion because of high jaundice level. And the doctor told us of the worst possible outcomes because of that condition. And when she was lying on the uh, hospital bed, I went down to the food court and I told my wife with a little bit of tears in my eyes, I said, if this is the price I have to pay for ministry, and you know what? This is not even the price that I'm, pay that I'm paying. This is the price that this little girl at four days old, she didn't choose to have a father as pastor. It's a price that she had to pay. And I said, if this is the price, whether she's paying or I'm paying, I can't do it. So today, I'm still a pastor. <laughs> and my daughter, Joy, she's uh, year six now. Beautiful, strong, healthy. And whenever I see her, I remind myself that the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> but I just thought about uh, a parenting lesson I want to share, and this is really not, you know, uh, in the message. You know, we, we name our children, we give our children names, and they are beautiful names. And as they are growing up, we see traces of evidence that they are going to be like what their name suggests. And it's good. But you know what's the flip side? The flip side, which is negative, is when we put the expectation on our children to live up to their name. We say, son, this is your name. You're supposed to be like that. <laughs> you know, if this is the name that God has given to you in your heart to give to your child, then let God be your child's true mind. Don't put the unnecessary pressure on the child to be what the name suggests that he or she should be. Would you say amen, parents? And this is not just a word for parents. This is a a word for all of us. We don't have a name that we need to live up to. We only need to be connected to the true vine and let God produce in us and through us what He wants. Uh, that episode, uh, that lesson uh, with joy, you know, through the blood transfusion, phototherapy, was one of the most significant defining moments for me. When I learned that Christ is my true vine, and without Him, I could do nothing. It was not my strength that was carrying the call. It was the strength of God that was carrying me and the call that He has placed in my life. And by remaining in Him, I found His love and His strength always with me. When Jesus tells us to remain in His love, He also emphatically commands us to love one another. 
One reason is because many of us come to witness the reality of God's love through the love we experience from others. And that encourages us to remain in God's love. But loving each other is a huge subject matter. I mean, uh, it can be at times very complex. It can take another 10-part sermon series. You can do another 20 Bible study sessions. And centuries after Jesus has said that, the church, the body of Christ today is still grappling with what does it really mean to love each other? What does it really mean to be united? But I think today, with the words of Jesus, remain in me, we can get our pivot right. Loving each other and unity is pivoted on our connected to the true vine, on our inner transformation towards Christ-likeness, and then reflect Christ to each other. That's why Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Your union with Christ will lead to your unity with Christians. Now, Jesus also has a missional purpose for unity. Before John 15, in John 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then in John chapter 17, verse 22 to 23, Jesus prayed that they, referring to us, may be one as we are one. Like him and the Father, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me. And someone said that the word know is not just an intellectual knowledge, it's actually a belief, a believing in Christ, believing in the gospel. You see, external attacks on the church never worked, they only made the church stronger. It is the internal division that weakens a church. And our unity is our most powerful witness to our world of the gospel and of the love of God. I come to my conclusion. In conclusion, our discipleship journey starts with Jesus. It's sustained by Jesus. It begins with follow me. It continues with remain in me. And in verse 5 to six uh, and 16, we read, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. A life can bear no fruit, like a disconnected branch. It can bear a little bit of fruit, like a branch that is unpruned. A disciple that bears much fruit that will last is one whose eyes are always fixed on Jesus to follow Him and to remain in Him. And as you do that, you will find Christ as the true vine who provides for you supernaturally to enable you to become all that God has called you to be. You will find His words inspiring faith, dispelling fears, equipping you and empowering you to overcome every challenge that will confront you. And you will produce fruit that lasts. God will establish the works of your hands and greatly multiply the fruits of your labor. And like what David wrote in Psalm chapter 23, surely his goodness 
and His love will follow you all the days of your life. If you receive and believe, give me a big amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a few moments to pray with me. This morning, I want to speak to two groups of people. First, it is those who do not know God. You do not know Christ. And as you hear today's message, you know that God is speaking to you. And you say, God, you are real. Somehow, I hear you speaking to me. And this morning, you want to open your heart to God. I want to pray with you. Second group of people are those who have drifted away from God. But this morning, you hear the goodness of God. You hear the love of God. You see that even as you are drifting away, God has been reaching out to you. God has surrounded you with people and even with circumstances to point you to His love. And this morning, you want to come back to Him. And if you are one of these two groups of people, I want to pray with you in the next few moments. I want you to just raise your hand and when I see your hand, I will pray with you. So, on the count of three, if God is speaking to you, I want you to respond simply where you are seated by raising your hand. One, two, three. If God is speaking to you, you want to come to Him, just raise your hand from where you are seated. And when I see your hand, I'm going to pray with you. Anyone, raise your hand. Is there anyone? Gonna just wait for a few more moments. I see the hand in the middle. Thank you, sir. If you have brought a friend who need to come back to God, just speak to him or her. Is there anyone else? Just gonna wait for a few more moments. Yes, I see the hand on my right. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Right. What I'm going to ask you to do is instead of what we usually do, to say a prayer after me, I want us to sing this hymn, Without My Vision, and make this your prayer. You don't have to follow words or repeat words after me. But in your own way, just where you are, sing this hymn as a prayer that God will be the Lord of your life. Can I ask all of us to stand to our feet and let's sing this together.